0: Good evening to the Dharma Hall and to Kirsten. And I hope you had a really good day of practice today, of walking, sitting, being mindful, and also cultivating generosity. And with the theme of generosity for this retreat, I would like to look tonight at what I call the ethics of emptiness. So I like to kind of look at this different aspect of this subject. That in a way what it seems to me that when we practice when we are on retreat, we are actually practicing cultivating the ethics of emptiness so that we can continue to do that in our daily life. But what do I mean by this? First, ethics, For me, ethics is actually about our relationship to self and others. So in a way, what is my impact on the world? What is the impact of the world on me? And so in that way, Buddhist ethics is one of the three training which come together on the path. You have the path of ethics, the path of meditation, and the path of wisdom. And so in terms of Buddhist ethic, we're not thinking so much as rule and regulation that we follow blindly, but really it is based on wisdom and compassion. What is skillful? What is beneficial? What is compassionate? What is appropriate? And there is this beautiful text you might not be familiar with, which is the Bodhisattva precept, which is what I learned uh, and took when I was in Korea as a nun for 10 years. Then about once a month, we alternated between the monastic precept and the Bodhisattva precept. And I became so interested in the text that I translated it. And so I'm not going to talk about the text tonight. But what is interesting about the body my precepts are really a precept for people who want to awaken, who want to awaken, who cultivate meditation, wisdom in order to awaken with everyone else. And if you look, it's kind of a series of like 48 precepts, 48 suggestions, you could say. And one of the main idea is the precept, for us to cultivate the precept, is actually to relieve suffering. There is one, for example, is help people who are ill, for example. Another one, actually, quite a few of them are about cultivating generosity. And as part of generosity, there is wise forgiveness. So when we kind of looking at when somebody hurt you, then can you maybe not deal in an angry way, but can you deal with the situation in a creative, wise, compassionate way? Another idea about those precepts is not taking advantage, and that's interesting because when we we kind of suggested to be generous, we always worry about being taken advantage but here he said actually one of the ethics is don't take advantage of others so it's kind of in what way can we take advantage and of course to help to awaken well what is so interesting in those precepts is a way they kind of look at them for example if they say uh do not cause harm then they will say do not cause harm directly. Do not cause harm in a roundabout way. Do not cause someone else to cause harm. And in a way, it's not just saying, don't do this. But it's kind of looking at the different way we cause harm. And that in a way, our intention is not to cause harm. And in a way, the idea that if we want to relieve suffering, to be generous, to not take advantage to help to awaken? How do we do that? And then it's really in a way for me, ethics is looking at the three aspect of action, which in that school is considered as intention, action, and the effect of the action. And so Personally, what I found very interesting in terms of ethics is that generally we intend to be ethical. So we try to be kind. We try to be generous. We try to be non-harming. We try to be compassionate. And then at times we are not. And I personally feel it's as interesting to be ethical as to notice what are the conditions which stop us from being ethical. And to see that it's not just the intention because we might have good intention, but the action might not be appropriate and the result might not be skillful. So in a way, that's why the three training goes together, ethics, meditation, and wisdom, because in a way the practice we do on the cushion helps us to be more calm, more clear, more mindful and see, oh, what was the intention? What was the action? What was the effect of that action? And if they're all beneficial, then in a way we can really rejoice. As I suggested yesterday, oh yeah, this was an ethical action and it benefited myself and others. And sometimes we might do something and we, oh, the intention might have been good, but the action not so much and the result may be not so beneficial. And then we can reflect what happened. And then that's where I would say emptiness comes in. That when we do any action and there is intention, action and effect, how much is it self-centered? How much is it other-centered? How much is it balanced between the two? Because often when we act in a harmful way, for example, it's because very likely we've been hurt ourselves or it's because we are little or very much self-centered. In a way, thinking more of ourselves than others. And that's where emptiness comes in. And to me, emptiness, in a way, is a basis for the ethics, for Buddhist ethics. But what do I mean by emptiness? And in a way, it would be better to say empty ink what we're trying to cultivate, to experience, to act from, is in a way emptying of self-centeredness, emptying of grasping, emptying of greed, emptying of hatred. And here, I want to look a little bit at one of the terms that can be looked at in terms of emptiness, and in the term some of you might have heard before, anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A, and generally translated as no self. But personally, I think it might be better to translate it as not self. But here, possibly I would like to kind of uh, give a wider meaning that I don't own something that actually things, I use things. You could say I occupy temporarily. So anata means that I might live in a house. I obviously have a body. I obviously, let's say, have finances, money. But at one level, I occupy them. I occupy my house. I occupy this body. I have some money in the bank. But this is, in a way, occupying temporarily. And often I think about, especially money, when we think of generosity, often we think about financial generosity. And to me, it makes sense if we think of financial generosity as what I would call redistribution, that actually there is money, but it is not mine. It's something I can use. It's something that helps me to survive. But at the same time, if there is more than just what I need for survival, I can also redistribute it. I don't need to, in a way, hold onto it just for me. And in a way, to me, that's what generosity is really about, that in some way we support others and we also supported ourselves. So in a way, if we look at our life in terms of generosity, how from when we born to our age now, that it would be 20, 30, 40, 70 for me, how much generosity I have benefited from. In my case, from my parents, from my society, from the monastery I studied in, from my friends, from my partner, and et- so on and so forth from my sister, <laughs> etc., And so in a way, we receive so much. But at the same time, it seems to me we do the same. That in a way, we share. We share the love, we share the friendship, we share the finances or whatever it might be. So to me, generosity is just not a one-way street. It's not me. I have to give something to others because it's good or because it feels better or whatever it is. But no, because there is this movement in generosity, because I am not stuck, because I don't own a fixed thing of something, but that things are shared so that we in ways support each other. And to me, this is very much part of emptiness. And also within that not this grasping, this kind of owning, just for me. Often we kind of really kind of just for me. And there is this fear that something will be taken, or whatever it might be. And how does it feel to be generous? And so really kind of how does it feel to be generous? How does it feel in a way to redistribute in a way? And so in a way, this ethics of emptiness is about relationship. And to me, practice, when we practice meditation, So in a way, when we practice meditation, part of it, we anchor. So we come back again and again, as much as we can in a friendly way to the breath, to the body, to a quality, to sound, whatever helps you to anchor. And at the same time, we are aware of change. And we become more clear. And this, in a way, to me, is helping us to dissolve this restrictive, what I would call self-centeredness. That, to me, this is the first thing I realized, which was a shock to me. Long, long ago, when I started, it was in the 70s, 75, I was in the monastery, I was doing my first retreat. And I was sitting there, you know, doing my meditation. And then suddenly, I saw all my thoughts were about me. Look at me. I am this important person. Don't forget me. I exist. See me. It was interesting. All my thoughts, I would say, 95% about me. And that's why I realized that, Although I had this impression from a young age, I wanted to be, save the world and be compassionate. Actually, there was a misperception between having this kind of very idealistic notion of saving the world and realizing actually, most of the time, I thought about me. But then I realized I thought about other, but also through me. So when I met somebody else, I was not just meeting the person where they were, but I was meeting them through my perception, the history I had of them. I mean, what I might expect from them or what they might give them or whatever it was. And to me, this is one of the beauty of practice. Either it is all this selfing. So that then when we are in relationship, as ethics is so much about relationship. How do we relate? How do we impact that we see the other for themselves and not just through our own protection, projection? And at the same time, ourself not being so defined by the other. So we don't define the other, and we don't put so much attention on how the other will define us. So in a way, we become independent, but connected. In a way, this is a beauty of Anatta. This is a beauty of emptiness, that in a way, there is this relationship where we both stand and we meet. And we meet as freshly as we can in the moment. And this is one of the beauty on a retreat to be in silence. Because when we're in a group and we're not in silence, then immediately, what do you do? Where did you study, etc.? And immediately, you put little kind of a fixed, fixed thing on the people. They're like this, they're like that, they studied, they did not study. Once I had this really strange exercise I did with somebody. And one of the things was kind of to look at the misperception we might have of each other. And this person, because of how I looked, she thought that I must have done long study in university. And I've never been to university. I mean... I went to university for a month, long ago, and the second time for an hour. And I decided it was not for me. So in a way, I've never been to university. And it was interesting that she thought I must have been because of kind of different thoughts she had about me. And so it's interesting. And that's what the beauty of being in silence on retreat, that actually we can be more generous in that we're not going to fix people and also we don't have to fix ourselves i am not so and so you don't have to say that you're just a human being sharing the space sharing the intention to cultivate wisdom and compassion together so emptying this is so important I feel for ethics, for relationship, this emptying of this grasping of this selfing. And I think that's what very much the practice is about. And so I'd like to share with you now some symbols of awakening. When I was a nun, a Buddhist nun in Korea, I would do ceremony in the temple, brief, but ceremony in the temple. And each time we would offer something, we would offer incense, we would offer candle, we would offer fresh water. Because each of those were symbols of awakening. And so the incense, as it spread, its fragrance, it disappears. So here you have the symbol of selflessness that you disappear, but you disappear, but you don't become nothing. As you disappear, you give everything. And you give everything without discrimination. The incense don't say, oh, I don't go there because I don't like them. I'll just go there because I like them. It just spreads everywhere. So again, that idea of this spreading everywhere. So as you disappear, kind of benefiting everyone. And with the candle, it's the same. The candle is dissolving as it gives light. So again, the symbol of selflessness. But also what is interesting with the candle is that it gives light to everyone else. Again, this wide benefit, generosity to everyone else. And at the same time, it leads itself. Because you know, if you don't lead the candle, it's opaque. But as soon as you lead the candle, then it becomes more clear. And it's the same way as we practice, we become more selfless. And as we become more selfless, we become more clear more clear for ourselves more clear for others. And the water here the idea is that flexibility, it's about becoming flexible. Because there is less self grasping, then we can be more flexible. And also we can reflect without grasping the same way that you can reflect, there is reflection on water, but once the person, the bird or the flower pass, then nothing is stuck there. And in a way, this is a little our difficulty that when something happens, that he gets stuck, that it would be a word, that it would be an impression, he gets stuck. And so somebody might, I said something to you two months ago. And then when you meet them, you meet them with two months ago. But... You are different from two months ago. They could be different from two months ago. And so in a way, this emptying is also about, can we meet freshly? But we have to be careful. This selflessness doesn't mean there is no self, doesn't mean we does not exist, but that we move from self-centeredness, which is a little fixed and rigid, to being other-centered. And here, one of the four qualities, so important, equanimity. So selflessness doesn't mean you forget yourself and you don't just think of others. No, 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 no. But again, there is a middle way. And so that's what equanimity is about. Equanimity is about balance, is about equilibrium. And so in a way, sometimes, you need to be more generous to yourself. Sometimes you need to be more generous to others. And sometimes it's in balance. You can equally be generous to yourself and to others. And also in equanimity is treating equally. This is a little a challenge, but this is, of course, treating equally wisely, compassionately. But this is one thing I would suggest as a practice. When you sit in meditation, in which treating equally the sound, treating equally the thought, treating equally the sensation, instead of immediately being reactive, But can we start by treating equally and then creatively, wisely, compassionately engaging with whatever happens? And in emptiness, you also have this idea of conditionality. So what it means is that we are empty of being fixed. We kind of empty of any fixed thing. We don't exist independently from all the condition that forms us. And to me, this is what the practice is about in a way. It's an exploration of conditions that impact us and how we impact others. So you could say we have this flow of inner conditions meeting outer condition which then impact us and so on and so forth so that basically emptiness is saying we are not fixed and rigid but we really this flow of conditions meeting all the flow of conditions and then what becomes interesting there is as an organism, each of us here at home or in the Dharma Hall, we sit here and often this is what I ask myself in terms of ethics of emptiness. I kind of, you know, just sit there being aware of my body, my mind, being aware I am in an environment. And then I ask myself, how does this organism survive? And this organism doesn't survive independently of what make it live. And what we realize or what I realize for myself is that I survive dependent on a lot of conditions outside of myself. The air I breathe, the food I take, the water i drink the clothes i wear the house i live in and so on and so forth and to me that's one of the beautiful practice that Thich Nhat Hanh introduced kind of trying to remind us in very practical way kind of saying oh look at this piece of paper or look at this piece of food or look at this fruit and then see in with the conditions that made it happen from the seed that was planted from, for example, for the orange, the tree that was grown, the farmer that kind of got it, then it had to travel, then we got it. And so you have this endless condition for us in a way to survive. This is something we have in the monastery when we take meals. We have kind of the meal change. And one of the things about the meal change is actually recognizing that we're surviving by eating this food and that this food has this long line of condition to arrive here. And very likely, lots of people work really hard and lots of energy for us to have this food so we can survive, so we can practice. And then, of course, we must not waste any of it because of that, in part. But recognizing how we are nourished from others. So emptiness is also very much about interdependence, about connection, that we depend on others and, of course, others too depend on us. And so in a way from that, to me, arise this wise compassion and also this wise generosity, what I would call wise giving. But if we look at giving, because often generosity, giving is close. But how do we give? I mean, especially like you are on retreat at the moment, so you are safe from all what's happening in terms of new year and possibly even uh, Christmas. But it's interesting, kind of, you know, the season of giving. And then, you know, when do you give? That's so interesting. And often when we give, there is an expectation. Oh, that I have found the right gift or that they will be happy or that they will say thank you or that they will give us something better in return or whatever it is. It's very interesting when we give. And my teacher, for me, my teacher in Korea, long ago said something which really kind of, ah, that's right, that's right. And he said, when you give, You should give like if what you gave was a dirty mop. You would not expect anything from it. Actually, you would be grateful that the people took it. And so in a way, I think we have to, to me, generosity is very much without expectation. But just giving because of this support because of the connection. So in a way, we have this creative wise compassion, this creative wise generosity. And I think here, again, we have to remember balance, we have to remember equanimity, that what we are saying is not you have to be generous all the time to the same degree. It will Sometimes what is interesting is how sometimes we're so generous and it's so beautiful. And sometimes we are generous and actually it was not the right generosity. Kind of, you know, we miss the This is so interesting sometimes. And you, ah, no, I should not have done that. And sometimes we don't feel like it. Ah, I don't want to be generous. I want to be. Selfish, and so personally, I think it's also very interesting with this theme of generosity to see when are we wisely generous, when actually we might have missed the mark, and when do we not feel like it. So in a way, what are the things that are going to impede it? And that's interesting. What is it that impedes? In a way, you could say generosity or compassion. And I think one of the things, that's why in a way we are on retreat, we are in silence, because then it gives us actually the optimum condition for compassion, for generosity. Because in daily life, what we can notice is one of the things that actually will Stop generosity and compassion is busyness. This is so interesting. You know, you want to be generous and compassionate, and then suddenly you have you are so busy. You have this to do, that to do, that to do, and then somebody say, "Help me!" Not now, not now. I don't have the time. Maybe in two days, possibly. I'm not sure. It's so interesting when we go this monomine of being busy. So that's also interesting to look at. What is it that stopped me? And sometimes what stop up is wise, or maybe I should not give this, or maybe I should not say this. So in a way, the ethics of emptiness is really to develop this creative wisdom. So that with the help of the meditation, with the mindfulness, we become more attuned to ourselves, to our conditions, but also to the condition of others. That is so important. And I think within that, one important aspect of generosity of the ethics of emptiness is the cultivation of listening. What I would call creative, wise listening. And in a way to really, to listen. So again, by listening to the other person, but also seeing the other person, seeing their conditions, and seeing what is it they really want. Can I give it? Sometimes we cannot, and sometimes you feel I know what's good for them, but they might not want it at all. So, in a way, the ethics of emptiness is really: can we come to a situation freshly? Can we bring this groundedness? Can we bring this clarity? And in a way, in the moment, I mean, in a way, what I would. And kind of this ethical intuition to say something or not to say something, to do something or not to do something. And really, I think this is what we develop, in know, we being like water, that flexibility, that responsiveness, And I wanted to finish uh, this talk with actually a story. This is something that happened to me, and this was long ago. So I was uh, quite young, I think I was 23, and I had arrived in Korea and in 75, and then I became a nun, and then I had the first retreat. There you sit for three months, 10 hours a day, then there was my second retreat. So the first retreat was in the summer. And the second retreat was in the winter. So in the winter, uh, because it was a monastery, and you did not have women, I mean, you have nuns in nunnery, and you have monks in monastery, but because it was the only place with uh, Western people, uh, then they accepted a few Western women. And then they put us in a little uh, compound, which had, and they gave us one room. So you have one room, and I was trying to calculate. As I was thinking of telling you this story, I was thinking to calculate how much square meter did we share? So we have five women, and I cannot tell you what was the square meter, but what I can tell you is that the five of us had a little match, and at night we had the five mats. One person was by the back wall. I was by the door. In the winter, there was a little cool air. And we occupied all the room. Possibly we had five to ten square meter. I'm not sure. But we just had these five mats. And then we slept on the floor with our little. And then in the morning, we woke up at three o'clock in the morning. We folded the mats. We put it in the cupboard and then we took out our uh, sitting mat and we sat the five of us in that room so for three months five women in that small space we could say we did our meditation 10 hours a day so 50 minutes 10 minutes walking 50 minute, 10 minutes and we walked outside we could not walk in the room it was just too small And so we did not know each other very well. And so it was kind of, you know, you try to share the space and, you know, kind of as much as you can. And so about three weeks passed. And then suddenly I realized the atmosphere was different. Like suddenly, I don't know, it felt so harmonious. I felt like I was in paradise. It was so harmonious, so lovely. There was such a nice feeling. And then I thought, well, what is different? I mean, why is it so nice? Why is it so lovely? Ah, oh, it's so nice, like kind of in a warm bath. It was really nice. So I started to observe what was going on. And I realized what was so nice is that everybody, was acting for the other. So actually, selflessness in action. Whatever we were doing, however we were occupying the space, it was not like for me, for my space and my comfort or whatever. Suddenly it was, oh, because I know she would like it. Oh, because I know she would be more comfortable. Oh, I know. So in a way, we learned to know each other but to know each other in a wise, compassionate, generous way. And from that, knowing each other, living in close portion, the self in going, and then doing things for others. And for 15 days, it was like paradise. It was so nice, so smooth. And then, like all things, it was impermanent. And then, after 15 days, I noticed, whoops. Uh, and then I could see it was so interesting to go from this other centered position, all of us, for whatever reason, coming back to a little more, little bit more self centered position. So it was so interesting to see that shift, actually, and to have that experience. So I hope that to what degree you can, uh, at Gaia House, you can cultivate this uh, generosity and also at home and also seeing how not only you are generous, but that other people too are generous towards you. So this is what I wanted to say today.